I am going to go ahead and get us uh, kicked off with prayer. So, uh, so let's, uh, let's ask the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you. I thank you for every individual that is here. I thank you that, that you're here, that Jesus Christ, the anointed one, is present with us, that the Holy Spirit is present in us, and that this is not just another day, but that this is a new day in which you are able to do a new thing. And so I pray, Father, as I, as I, as I try to every time, you know, my prayer is that your word would go out, but that also the spirit would go out, and that your power would go out, and that we would be impacted, that we would be changed, that we would be matured, that we would be prepared, because it's no joke out there, and apart from your spirit, Lord, we don't have a snowball's chance in hell. So, so I pray, Father, fill us with your miraculous power and strength and insight. In the name of your Son, your beautiful Son, and for your own glory, Lord, for the sake of your own name, your own holy name, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so if you don't know, now you know. My name is Johnny Levy. I am one of the teaching elders at Aletheia. I will be preaching out of the ESV version. Some of the different teachers, we, we, we sometimes use different versions. Last year, I think I might have confused people because I, I think I said ESV, and then I was bouncing back and forth between the, uh, the NIV and the ESV. So, you know, that was really just to keep you, to keep you on your toes and to, you know, make sure you're paying attention because, yeah, it, was, that's, it wasn't just me being, having a mistake. There was nothing like that. Um, so, uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a quick summary of last Sunday. You know, we talked about Abraham and, uh, and Hagar and Sarai. And, you know, God had made this promise and he's making them wait. He makes them wait 25 years before they get to see the fulfillment of the promise. And then at a point in the middle there, they, start, they get their own idea of how they're going to fulfill God's promise on their own behalf. And it's a mess, Right? And uh, so I, I think I might have said the word Jerry Springer a couple times, you know, to just, uh, just get a sense for how much of a mess we're talking about. Uh, and, uh, and so we get to see Abraham and Sarah, you know, at a moment of weakness and at a moment of wretchedness and at a, at a moment where, you know, they've, they've done what they shouldn't do. Uh, but then we got to fast forward and see God's testimony of them and how much he covered them. And, uh, and how the way that God sees us is often so different than the way we see ourselves because we see ourselves and each other in accordance with merit, and God sees us differently. And therefore, God can say something different about us than maybe we would say about ourselves because we're covered with the blood of Jesus. Amen? And so Amen. all that's just being preached to us through Genesis. And we're going to continue that uh, because, you know, that, that was a message of hope. Uh, it was a message of grace. It was a message of redemption. Um, it was a message, uh, you know, to, to help us not to get stuck in our own works. But you're going to love, like, the next thing that, that God says because, uh, you know, you're going to be like, did you really preach that? And this is the next thing that God says, Johnny? 
uh, it's going to seem like a bit of a contradiction. But even in that, even in this, there is so much, so much of God's grace for us to learn something more about his character. So uh, the thesis, uh, the main idea, some of the things I'm going to hit this week. The idea that God never relaxes his holy standard of perfection. All right, I'm going to say that one more time. God never relaxes his holy standard of perfection. Um, he is utterly just. All right? Can y'all say just? just? Just. God is just. God is holy. God is righteous. God is perfect. He is utterly so. So that is true. That is a truth that undergirds the entire scripture. Another truth, God paid the full cost of every single one of my failures. Right? This is also a consistent truth across the scripture. God is the decisive justifier. So he is both just and the justifier, right? So we're going to be dealing with that, with that tension. Um, God is a God who offers a tension that can only be resolved through faith. So, you know, we read our Bibles, and it, and it fills us with tension, right? Like, like it's, there's, there's tensions between truths in the Bible. There's things that seem like contradictions, so much so that many have walked, from, walked away from the faith because they say the Bible's full of contradictions, right? Um, and so... So it's impossible for us to read the scripture and to see God saying things that seem so different and to not feel that tension between different things, right? And so we're going to explore that a bit because it's, good, it's a good thing to face because God's doing something with the tension. And then before we get into the actual text, there's always, uh, I usually have some what I call umbrella texts or umbrella scriptures, right? Scripture interprets scripture. I'm going to move this podium up a little bit because that, that microphone is like... Or this, uh, this stand is like digging into my back. You got my back? All right. I appreciate that. All right. So, uh, so just a few. You don't have to turn to these. I'm going to read these over you. Uh, but, but pay attention as I read these things. Pay attention to what's going on in your spirit when I read these. Because some of them are going to, they're going to be a little jarring. Okay? 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16. As obedient children... Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. amen. Does it make you feel all warm and fuzzy inside? Matthew five forty-eight. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Pretty clear, Right? Not a lot of room for interpretation on that. Be perfect. Matthew 5, 18 through 19. This one has given me particular trouble. <laughs> I actually had to preach this, uh, preach this passage, uh, which made me have a come to Jesus with the Bible. It says, uh, it's, uh, Jesus saying, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Amen? Whoever relaxes the least of these commandments. So, uh, so my last one, I'm going to take us over to Romans. So what I'm establishing here is, is this, this call that is consistent throughout Scripture that God gives us to holiness, Right? that seems so in contradiction to what? What does that seem to contradict for you? Or what does that bring up when I read those scriptures to you? Anybody? Anybody feeling, feeling brave? 
Huh? Brings up his grace. How so? What do you mean? Right. Yep. Anybody else? Can you anybody else share share react your reaction when I read those scriptures? Highlights your shortcomings, right? Because I'm not going to sit here and preach to you about being perfect, and you're like, "Word up, word up, <laughs> yeah, Lord, I'm on it." <laughs> you know, like that's not what it, no. It brings up you. You realize your shortcomings really fast when you're confr- confronted with that. So, uh, so Romans three twenty one. Actually, I'm gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna skip through this a little bit because really the the nugget that I'm gonna keep coming back to is Romans three twenty six. So I'll just read that before I get into the scripture, the, the, uh, the reading for today in Genesis 17. It said, it was to show his righteousness at the present time. And this is a gospel presentation concluding with 26. It was to show his righteousness, God's righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And this is a passage in which Paul, through the Holy Spirit, is dealing with the tension between these two ideas, right? The idea that God is just, and, and, is, and, is, and is righteous when he says, I expect perfection from you. And, and the lack of perfection in you deserves my wrath. He's just when he says that, right? But then he's also the justifier who says, oh yeah, uh, Abraham, go to sleep. I'm going to walk through on your behalf, right? I'm going to be your right. I'm going to fulfill the punishment that you should have paid, right? I'm going to fulfill your side of the bargain because I know you can't. But then we'll turn around and say, oh, but be perfect though, (laughs) right? Man, we're going to just get all up in that tension today. You ready? Genesis 17, right? Coming out of of last week's sermon, just hold that over here because now we're going to get into what God says next after this big debacle that happens (laughs) with Hagar, and Ishmael being born. When Abraham was 99 years old, this isn't long after the last narrative, just so you know. Like the last, this, I'm guessing a few years at the most, probably less than a year. But this is, this is very close to the last part of the narrative, as far as I can tell. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham, Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Red flags, anybody? <laughs> have, I, have I not been preaching this covenant of how graceful God is to make this covenant with Abraham, not based on his works? And then what does God say when he shows up when the brother's 99 years old? Walk before me and be blameless so that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Confusing? Yes, right? I'm like, I got to preach this? That's confusing. (laughs) So I'm thinking in my head when I'm reading this text. Um, Because now all of a sudden what it looks like is that the covenant, in order for God to make the covenant with Abraham, Abraham's got to be blameless. Notwithstanding, he's appearing to Abraham right after Abraham and Sarah just made a, a a big mess of things, Right? So this idea that you you got to be blameless. And then it seems as if the covenant is now contingent upon that, which is like, wait a minute, I thought the covenant was contingent upon nothing. I thought you walked through the animals without me. 
What does this mean? How can you say that to me, God? Right? Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a little bit of a contextualizer for that, okay? So God's telling him to be blameless. Keep in mind, he's already made the covenant with Abraham, right? So there are these different points where he comes and he reaffirms or reestablishes the covenant or adds a dimension to the covenant, but he's already entered into covenant with Abraham. So isn't that strange, right? There's a lot that's strange about it. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you this, uh, this scripture. I'm going to take you back to James 2.17 because God's saying, be blameless before me. And James 2.17 says, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Right? This is one of those scriptures, right? Like if you want to have this view that, that, that faith and works have nothing to do with each other, then you're going to have to wrestle with James saying that faith and works are actually complementary to each other and also essential to each other, right? So um, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. So now we've, we've got an idea here, right, that the outworking of faith, legitimate faith, authentic faith, there's going to be works accompanying that. Amen? Is that a problem for anybody or is that okay? Right? But now we get to see what Abram's response is, right? So God, God comes after the big debacle, says, yeah, I need you to be blameless. I need you to walk perfectly before me. Holy God shows up and tells you that, right? Like, what do you say? What do you say to God when he says, I need you to be perfect? If you have any ounce of self-knowledge, what do you say to that when God says that to you? Right. You know, I'm a man of unclean lips. It's not going to work. <laughs> Let me show you what Abraham does. And it's instructive, my friends. It's instructive for us. Then Abram fell on his face. Somebody say amen. amen. He fell on his face. And God said to him, because now, now God's like, yep. <laughs> you know? He says, be perfect. Bam, Abram goes down. God says, yep, I'm going to keep talking to you now. God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you. See, this is interesting. My covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. I thought you just said the last passage, if I'm blameless before you, then you'll do this. Then I fall on my face, and then you do this anyway. You see the distance? There, there's something happening with those two verses set against each other, right? There's something happening here that's beautiful, right? Because in some sense, how does Abraham respond to God's call for Abraham to be perfect? He responds with faith, right? He responds with faith. As he's responded all along to the Lord, he's responded with faith. Okay, you tell me I need to be perfect? I believe you. I don't see it, don't think I can do it, just literally failed five minutes ago, but you said it, here I am, on my face, just believing you. And God says, okay, here's my covenant. You shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you. I have, you see the, the past tense there, I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. This is a mysterious thing happening here, isn't it? I'm going to get, just again, to contextualize it. 
God is both just and the justifier. What do we see happening in these two passages? God comes as one who is just, needs you to be perfect, needs you to be holy like I'm holy, and then immediately follows that by coming as the justifier. Amen? We see that happening. Isn't it beautiful? It's glorious, man. It's mysterious. To some degree, it defies the human logic. And Abraham's response is to get on his face. He says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations. Kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Y'all hear that? An everlasting covenant to be God to you and your offspring after you. Were all of his offspring faithful? Were a lot of them unfaithful? Do a lot of them blow it to the point where you kind of feel like, man, any, any reasonable guy would have walked away? But what does he keep doing? Like, how does this get proved out through history? He keeps coming back, don't he? Doesn't he keep coming back? They blow it, they blow it, they blow it, they blow it, they really royally blow it, and he comes back again says something about his character, an everlasting covenant. And I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And Abraham, his response was to fall on his face. God says, you've got to be blameless for me to make my covenant with you. Abraham believes God makes his covenant with him. Because in God's sight, what was Abraham? Was he a sinner? What was he in God's sight? He's righteous, he's blameless. He believed God, and that belief was accounted to him for righteousness. Is that easy to understand? No, that's hard to understand. Is that easy to live? No, that's hard to live. But man, there it is in black and white for you. This is God. This is God's covenant with us. So the question I always ask is, and I, I, kind, of, I kind of got into this uh, prior, so God says, okay, I need you to be blameless. And, he's, and he said that to us. He didn't just say that to Abraham, right? Like that's, that's, that's to us. If the Bible, to whatever degree the Bible speaks to us, which is a lot, God has said very clearly in multiple verses, be perfect, and it creates tension for us. Be perfect. Be blameless before me. Be holy, for I am holy. He says those things. And it gives us trouble because we know ourselves, and it creates a mystery for us. And then we ask questions like, okay, well, what if I fail? Right? What if we fail? Say it. Go ahead, boy. Preach it. Okay, you don't have to. didn't mean to put you on the spot. <laughs> Sorry, I heard you talking, though. I was like, okay. So, Romans 3, 1 through 4. Okay, so this is, this is the what if we fail, right? For those of you that we read these things and we immediately internalize and, we, and, and it scares us when God says he calls us to that high standard because we know, right? We know just like Abraham knew. Romans 3. Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way, to begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if, some, what if some were unfaithful? Do you hear what? So, so okay, now he's, he's, he's answering the question. What if some were unfaithful? 
Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means, right? So we see something about God's covenant, which is played out throughout the scriptures, which is that God calls his people, calls them to a high standard, never relaxes the standard. The standard is the standard. I'm not grading you on a curve, people. That's not what this is, right? Like the standard is the standard. They fail the standard, but he doesn't leave them, right? He doesn't leave them. He continues to walk with them. He continues to come back. He continues to teach them. He continues to, to, to help them. And ultimately, we know that those sins were covered by the sacrifice of Jesus in which he paid the full cost for the sins because the sins required the cost to be paid. Because God, he, he didn't just make, him, make it all go away. Does that make sense? Like he didn't just make the standard go away because then he couldn't be just, right? He couldn't be just if he just, if he sets a standard and is like, ah, it's fine. 50% is great. You're 51, you know, you're, you're kind, you're kind 51% of the time. That, that's, what the, that's what they think out there, right? Like that's what people, that's what, what passes for religion and what has passed for religion for most of history is, hey, you do the best you can. And then at the end, God's gonna just kind of put all of your, your, your sins in this box and all of your good deeds in this box. And as long as this box is heavier, then you're fine. That's what people think God is. That's what we can think God is, right? As Christians, that's just the natural way that people think. And God says, no, I am both just and the justifier. And that was the only way that it could work, right? I had to be just, I had to uphold my standard, and then I had to give the entire punishment to myself in order for you to be able to survive it. Amen? It's, uh, it, it, it reminds me somewhat, I, I don't want to get too stuck on this, but it reminds me somewhat of, you know, being a parent. And you tell your kid, don't hit your sister, <laughs> right? Like, you know, and, and again, this is, to some degree, this is a call to perfection, right? I'm not saying, hey, buddy, can you hit your sister 75% less than you do? I'm saying, don't hit your sister because I expect you not to hit your sister. And what's the response I'm looking for? Because I know my child is fallible, right? But I'm not looking for excuses. I'm not looking for excuses. I'm not looking for you to tell me like, dad, it's, she's just so hittable, <laughs> you know? Like, you know, like what I'm looking for is, yes, dad. That's what I'm looking for. Yes, dad. Now, do I know that, you know, bless his little heart, he's going to hit her again in 15 minutes? I know that <laughs> because I know what he is. You know, I know my, my, my kid is a sinner, saved by grace and beloved of the Father, but he's a sinner, right? Um, and so, uh, so, so often I think we, we get the shudders and the chills when God says, be perfect, when he says, hey, you know, I'm expecting this perfection of you, and, he, and rightly so, right? D don't hit your sister anymore, right? He's expecting these things from us, but then he's also on the back end already paid the cost for all of it. Isn't it glorious, man? Isn't it glorious? And there's also prophecy in it too, because when God says, you know, one of the most challenging scriptures for me as a husband, um, husbands love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Last time I checked, I wasn't Jesus. <laughs> right? And yet God says, I'm to love my wife like Jesus Christ loved the church. 
Don't hit your sister, right? You know, that's a, that's a, it's, a challenging, it's a challenging scripture for me, you know, when I read that. And I fail. I fail a lot. But can I tell you also, I, I am also transformed by it. Does that make sense? Like I am also transformed. Jesus comes out of my hands and feet as I continue to follow that beautiful thing. And so there is a prophecy happening when God gives you an impossible command because by God's grace, he's going he's gonna to move you forward into that inheritance, right? The inheritance of who you are in Christ, that inheritance of holiness that we're pushing for. And that one day when, the, when, when, uh, um, when we go and get to see him face to face and there are no more tears, we're going to be able to walk perfectly in that way. Amen? Amen. Not till then, though. But man, wouldn't it be a sad thing if I just, because, because I know I can't be perfect until I go and see him face to face, then I just take my ball and go home and just settle for whatever the flesh gives me? Because that's what some people do. That would be the wrong way to read this. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant. You and your offspring after you throughout their generations, this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall, the the guys, whoop, your eyes just start to get wide open, right? (laughs) It's a very personal, visceral experience when you're a man reading this. Uh, You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Right? So once again, we have the standard. A very clear standard of how, and this is, this is the beginning of something new, right? Because prior to this, the commandments we have are in the garden. Very, it's a personal commandment, right? Adam and Eve. Eat all this, don't eat that, right? The first law, so to speak, but not so much a social law, much a very personal, right? This is a personal interaction he's having. Uh, and, and, then, and then not much after that, I mean, then we get Noah, God commands him to build the ark, right? And, 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 and Noah does those things. But now we're talking about something that applies to a whole society, right? The beginnings of the law, right? The four, right? When, when, uh, when Paul speaks of the law, when he speaks of Moses' law, um, so often he, he lumps circumcision in with that, right? It, it's, a, it's a law. It's a, a defining point. It's that which sets Israel apart from the surrounding nations because God did call them to be different, right? And so it is important. And God says, do this, right? Don't hit your sister. Get circumcised. You will all be circumcised. This needs to happen, right? This needs to be taken seriously. I just told you to be perfect and to walk before me blamelessly. And if you want to get more about circumcision, and, and, and you know, I'm not going to go into Galatians, but Galatians speaks a lot about circumcision. It's a great thing to hold against as you're going through this scripture, reading about circumcision, and then to see what Paul has to say about it later on. Um, but at the end of the day, this was an everlasting covenant. See, that gave me problem for, uh, uh, trouble for a little bit, right? Because in the New Testament, it's spoken of as 
something that has passed away to a degree. You know, I don't think Paul uses that exact language, but he says, man, if, you're, if you get circumcised, listen, guys, he's talking to the Galatians, if you get circumcised, Christ has become of no avail to you, right? Because you're, you're going back into a system that was fulfilled by Christ. Does that make sense? And so, yes, how can something be an everlasting covenant, but then also come to a point where it doesn't apply? Is that... A hard one? It's a hard one. I will say because Jesus Christ filled it everlastingly, right? Jesus Christ fulfilled it everlastingly. Nothing was taken away from the standard. The standard remains. Jesus Christ fulfilled it on our behalf, amen? Somebody say amen to that. Okay. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. And at last, you all remember the pain that I talked about last week of Sarai, Sarai being left out of the promise, right? Like, God never mentioned me, husband. He mentioned you. He never mentioned me. So it's probably not going to come through me, so here's my handmaid, and you go ahead and make it happen through her because obviously God has abandoned me. And now here's God showing up and saying, oh, no, this was always the plan. I had plans for her, too. I have not forgotten her. I have seen her. She was here, right? She was here, and and, and she was who I had in mind. And this is a complicated thing to be revealed at this point, right? It's a very complicated thing because things have already gotten messy. It would be one thing if the whole thing with Hagar hadn't happened. But it happened, and it produced an heir. And, you know, as far as Abraham knows, that's the heir. Ain't nobody else here, (laughs) right? And, uh, And so, of course, Abraham's response is he fell on his face and laughed, right? I almost, it just seems so overwhelming, right? It seems so overwhelming. So he falls on his face again. You know, this act of total worship. And he laughs, and then he says to himself, he doesn't say this to God, keep in mind, he says it to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Like, he's laughing. And, you know, it seems so crazy what God is saying to him. But then the next thing Abraham says is quite revealing. He says, oh, that Ishmael might live before you, right? Right? Like, I've already got an heir, God. You're too late. You're 13 years too late. I've already got an heir. Can't can't Ishmael be the son of, of your promise? I thought he was. Can't he be the son of your promise? And can you hear the the sadness, right? Can you hear what's at stake for Abraham? Can you hear now the mistake that he made is being revealed as a mistake, right? That God had intended for something and he did something totally different. And isn't it like us to be like, God, can you just bless this thing? I know you said this and you wanted to do it this way, but I did it this way. Can you still bless this thing? We put God in some tough, some tough uh, circumstances, don't we? Well, not tough for him because he's infinite, but God's response is very clear. God said, no. 
that's not how I do things, son. Right? The miraculous God says, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. And you shall call it, like, in other words, you don't get to change my will with your mistakes. Now, that, that, is, that, is, that can be a disappointing thing, but it's also a glorious thing, isn't it? You don't get to change my will with your mistakes. Praise God I don't get to change his will with my mistakes. Amen? Amen. Sarah's going to bear you a son. You shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. So God gives his answer, but he also has mercy. How does he do, how does he do this dance, <laughs> right? How does he do this dance of, of being just and giving us what we deserve, which is his right? and then coming in and intervening for us and taking the punishment we deserve for us, and then sometimes even giving grace for our mistakes, right? Like even allowing our mistakes not to damage us in the way that they should and not to damage others in the ways that they should, right? Like it's, he's just showing his complete and total sovereignty of the whole situation. He is the miraculous God. Now, when he finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and those born in his house or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of his house those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. All right? So, you know, like I'm, I'm telling you, this, this makes me cringe, right? I mean, it makes me cringe because sometimes what God requires of us is, is, a, is weighty, right? Like it's, it's a weighty thing. Um, but we see with Abraham that it all came back to faith for him, right? Like obedience was this, you know, obedience was, was a hallmark in his life as well. But that obedience always came as a result of his overflowing faith towards the living God and his belief in God's promises that empowers him to go and do the thing that he has to do that, you know, that brother didn't want to do this. I, I'm just speaking for all men. He did not want to go and do this, <laughs> right? That wasn't like, oh, awesome, you know, I get to go do this. No, I mean, I, it's, it's, a, it's a horrible, painful thing that he had to go through, um, but it, it shows us, right? Like what happens later in Israel is we get Moses' law and then the focus shifts onto this, this law and the system of works. And, and it's like this gets forgotten, right? Like the time when it was just a man and his God and a man just believing what his God said and a man just loving and worshiping his God even though he didn't understand everything that God was saying to him. And, and, then, and then all of his works being an outpouring of that intimate faith and relationship. See, that gets lost later on. And then Paul brings us right back to it in the New Testament. Like, y'all forgot about this. Y'all forgot it wasn't works. It was faith. Yes, there are works. Yes, be holy as I am holy. Yes, God has high standards that he does not compromise. Yes, this is all true. 
But if it's not underneath that, if, if the relationship of faith towards God is not beneath it, if the love and the intimacy with God is not beneath it, it's dead as a corpse, right? And that's what happens. So now here are questions that you may have, right? Like going through this text, questions you may have, questions you may have in general. You know, I'm going to throw these out there just to honor the fact that we have these cognitive questions when we come to the text. Where does the faith begin and where does the work end, right? Like where, what's the cutoff? How can God be 100% sovereign and me be 100% responsible for my actions? How does that work, pastor? Right, anybody? Raise your hand if you've ever had that question. Okay. How can God say that he justifies and forgives me and then turn around and demand perfection from me when he knows what I am? How many times can we fail before he abandons us? Anybody? Make it more personal. How many times can I fail before he abandons me? Right? How can he demand perfection from me when I'm so flawed? And then the last question is, what is my response to these outrageous demands? Now, rather than go through the, you think I'm going to answer these. <laughs> Y'all are like, oh, this is the best church service I've ever been to. <laughs> he's, he's about to answer these questions I've had my whole life. I'm going to give you Abraham's answer to those questions. He fell on his face and he worshiped God. Y'all hear me? He's a guide to us. You're not going to have all your questions answered. Your mind couldn't even conceive of the answers to some of these questions in its finite state. Do you understand what I'm saying? That doesn't mean we don't pursue knowledge. That doesn't mean we're not rigorous in our learning, right? It doesn't mean that. But at a certain point, God's either going to say it and you're going to believe it or not. Because it's not about how much proof God gives you. You hear what I'm saying? Like, entering the kingdom and walking into the kingdom is a supernatural thing. If you're following Jesus, whether you know it and acknowledge it or not, if you are really following Jesus, it is because something supernatural and miraculous and I might even say magical happened in your heart. It's not because you read, you learned, you understood, you came to the right conclusion and just decided to go with it. See, there's no faith in that. And God, Jesus Christ is the stumbling block, as I told you last week, right? When the disciples said, you know, all the disciples left because it was like, this dude doesn't make any sense at all, right? He's telling me I've got to be a cannibal in order to have life. He doesn't make any sense. And whatever your cannibal question is, right? What is your question? What is your besetting question that, that comes back and nibbles at your faith and haunts you, right? It may get answered. It may not. I don't know. I, I, you know, I'm batting 50% on mine, to be really honest with you. Man, I almost walked away from the faith when I was, you know, the year I got saved, I almost walked away from the faith because the idea that good people could go to hell was too much for me. And I, I couldn't. I, I was like, I can't with you, God. And he was, 
Like, I literally can't sit here and tell you that the, that, that, that the answer that I received from him was adequate. I just fell on my face. And what that looked like for me was, God is good. If he's not good, what am I doing here? Like, if he's not good, what am I doing in Christianity? If he's not good, what am I doing alive? If he's not good, I... I, I came to the place where I had to supernaturally take for granted that God was good and knew better than me. And that was the only answer I was going to get. Is that discouraging or encouraging? Faith is supernatural, and there are times when your mind and your reason is not going to be able to get you there. And that's when we got to fall on our face. That's what I'm getting at, right? With whatever it is, that you're dealing with, whatever challenges to your faith, how could a good God do X? How could a good God do Y? Why is it like this in society? What is God doing? Is he asleep? Has he forsaken us? My encouragement is for you to understand and recognize and acknowledge that his ways are not your ways. And to cry out to him, I believe, help my unbelief. Y'all hear me on that? So, uh, ooh, let's get that worship team up here. I think I was supposed to call you up before you. I don't follow my notes, whatever. Come on up, worship team. I just want you to remember, that's what I want to leave you with, is that image of God saying, you know, a thing that would make any man who knew himself, right? Like, if you know yourself, that's going to cause you to stumble when God says, I need you to be perfect, right? And his response is, he fell on his face, right? I just want you to remember that image. I want you to learn from that image. I want you to cry out to God to put that in your heart, right? And then I'm going to pray for you, and then we'll, uh, I'll come back for the response. So, Lord God, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is, is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder between joints and marrow, soul and spirit, and is a discerner between the thoughts and intents of the heart, Lord. Cut deep, Jesus. Get to the core of, you know, so often, Jesus, and I know I do this too, like we, we're in a culture where you know, the, the mind rules and knowledge rules and technology rules. And, and from a child, we're just raised up to believe that humans, if they work together, can do just about anything. And that nothing, there's nothing that can't be solved by just pitting your mind against it and figuring it out. And then we read in the Bible, and it's such a different story that's presented to us. And so save us, Lord God, from our American version of Christianity in which we get to sit in the pews and say, sure, I'll believe today until, you know, until the evidence mounts against, you know, until I, until, until, until I see something that I just can't take in my, in my rational mind and I've got to walk away. And it's like, nah, there's people around the world who are illiterate, 
and a preacher comes and tells them something about this dude named Jesus and they get saved and then they're ready to go and die for you the next day. See, that's not American Christianity. That's Christianity, which is we're not holding you at arm's length until you prove yourself to us sufficiently. But we're on our face saying, God Almighty, hallelujah, you are King and you are Lord. Let that be the spirit of me and the people in this church. That we're not waiting to be convinced, but that we are convinced. That we are willing to lay it all on the line for the lamb that was slain. That until we die, there is no other way for us but Christ. Come what may, whatever they say, fill us with your fire and your glory today, Lord Jesus, that we may go out from this room and remember who we are when we leave the church and be able to extend down the hand to these people that are caught in this quagmire of knowledge and pride who think they have the answers and they're dying in it because they don't have life. Fill us with your life, Jesus. A cry out to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so this is, uh, this is our response time. Uh, this is our, our opportunity to acknowledge what the Lord is doing, right? I prayed before we even started for his power, right? Not just knowledge, but life to be administered to the people, right? Like, what are we doing here? What are we doing as a church, right? Like, what, where are we headed? Maturity, right? That's where we're headed. We're headed to maturity. We want to be a people that are so full of the spirit of Christ that as we enter into seasons of uncertainty and difficulty, when the world gets ugly out there, then we're gonna be able to stand because we know the one in whom we have believed, amen? You've got to know Jesus for yourself. Like the pastor can't know him, I can't know him for you. You've got to know him. And so I plead with you to engage with him, to sing to him, to get on your face and worship him. And if you don't know this Jesus, I've got good news for you. If you're in this room, man, woman, or child, and you have not accepted, because you know your heart, you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Today, if you will hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to say yes. Today is the day to say, no, I don't understand what all this means, but I'm going to just get on my face because you are God and you are the one who saves and you are the one that died for my sins so that I don't have to pay the cost that I should have paid because I'm a sinner. And guess what? If you're a sinner, you're in the right place. Because church isn't where all the good people go. Church is where sinners go. To find the only one that can do anything about their sin. 
which is God himself. And so if you don't know Jesus, man, I just plead with you. Today's the day. Come pray with me. Come pray with somebody else. But if you're getting stirred up, and that's, that's anybody in this room, if you're getting stirred up by the Spirit, man, don't quench that. Don't quench that. Call to repentance. You know, hey, Jesus said, be holy as I am holy. And maybe when he says that, it brings something up for you, right? And if it does, the answer isn't to run away from it. The answer isn't to deny it. The answer is to get on your face and repent, right? And to say, yes, Lord, right? Like what we want to do is say, well, it wasn't as bad as that guy, right? Or, or I did it because of X, Y, Z extenuating circumstance that exempts me from responsibility. It's like God ain't trying to hear any of that. He only has one answer for your sin, and that was slaughtering his son on a cross, which means your answer is no excuses, just yes, dad, you're right, and I was wrong, right? Your standard is perfection. Did you fall short of perfection? Well, then you sinned, right? We don't have to spend a lot of time figuring out if you sinned. <laughs> Standards here. Was what you did here sin if it wasn't, right? But man, isn't it sweet that if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Isn't it sweet that you don't have to stand there in your pride isolated from God because you don't want to say sorry, but you could just enter right back into the arms of your father like my son does when he blows it and he says, I'm sorry, dad, and all I have for him is love and affection. Amen called a giving, right? We've got uh, the giving boxes to the left and to the, to the back, to the back. I always forget this. Yeah, they're there and they're back. All right. So if you, uh, you know, man, we, we just pray as God stirs you up to give, you know, then you can give to the work that he's doing through this church. Call to remembrance, communion, right? The covenant, the covenant where Jesus paid the cost that God promised would be paid when he walked between those slaughtered animals and he said, Abraham, you stay asleep because I've got a son who's coming that's going to take the punishment that's due to you when you fail. And he did fail and all that were after him all failed. And Jesus absorbed it all through that cross. And so take the cup, take the bread, break the bread, drink the cup. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ and remember Remember him pierced up on that cross, bleeding out for you. And last, lastly, a call to prayer. I always, man, I always do this because, you know, I believe in the power of prayer, amen? Like, I believe that some of the bondage that you're in ain't going to get broken unless you get prayed for and bring it out into the light. And so, yes, do it. I will pray for you. You come and pray for me. Shoot, it doesn't have to be pastor, I'll, let me come pray for me. It could be pastor, I want to pray for you. Well, pray for me. I welcome it. Pray for each other. Let me see you lay your hands on each other. Let me see you confess your sins to each other. Let me see you worship God with each other. Let's continue to worship. <laughs>